Hey there, everybody. You are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And I apologize in advance if I sound in any way groggy or not quite with it. We're recording early in the morning for us. It's before 8. I'd say that's pretty early. It's before, At least for us. Yeah, definitely. It's before 8 and pre-coffee. So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this month, uh, we took a look at Volume 1 of Shuri, which, is, uh, for obvious reasons, the big one being this is your favorite Disney princess now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. <laughs> following the Black Panther movie. Uh-huh. So this is um, written by, I hope I'm not going to completely butcher this, uh, Nettie Okorafor. Um, I, I either killed that or I didn't. I don't know. Uh, artist was Leonardo Romero. The colorist was Jordi Belair. Now, this is something of a follow-up to, um, the same writer having done some work on Black Panther, uh, run called Long Live the King. And this volume has a subtitle of The Search for Black Panther, which... Yeah, that's kind of what it is, or at least that's where, where it starts from. So, mm-hmm. Wakanda has started its own space program, headed by Shuri, of course, because she seems to do, like, literally everything that is technologically related mm-hmm. in that country. And her brother and her love interest, who is a character who I don't, no. Uh, manifold. Manifold, yeah. Who it's and it's not just I don't know, like, oh, I didn't know they were dating, like, I have no idea who that character is. Um, the two of them test this spaceship and end up going through a wormhole. And so now they're gone, stuck up in Farscape somewhere, uh, for all I know. But <laughs> sorry, it's on my it's on my mind. Other podcast. Um <laughs> so th- they're missing, and Shuri is trying to find them while she is being asked to step up and take on the mantle of Black Panther in her brother's absence, something she's done before but does not want to do now. Um, so there's some there's some internal conflict there. There's um, Later on, Storm shows up. Who Lots is, of cameos. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of cameos, and I think Storm at this point is still married to T'Challa. I believe I know they did get married at I some don't point. Know. They're definitely they definitely seem to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're still married. I can't keep up with this. Um, but there is a whole thing with astral projection, and Shuri ends up kind of semi possessing Groot, as in Rocket and Groot from Guardians of the Galaxy. And that was a fun issue. And there is a giant space insect and a localized black hole and having to call in Iron Man and shenanigans. Lots of shenanigans. Lots of shenanigans. Spacey shenanigans. Spiritual shenanigans. Yes. So, what'd you think? It took me a little bit of time to get into it. Um... The writing, well, the art seemed kind of stiff at first. I think my issue was the first time I had encountered this character and why I loved her was just 
the portrayal of her on Black Panther, and she was so lively and sarcastic and fun and animated. So I think this was a very different format, and so the artwork and even the writing style seemed a little stiff to me at first. Mm. Um, but once Storm showed up and we got into like the swing of the story and the different cameos, I enjoyed it a lot more. And this was one of my first times seeing Storm, too. And, you know, like, I only really knew Storm from the X-Men movies and mainly the ones where she's portrayed by Halle Berry. So a lot of people I know love Storm, and I was always like, eh. But reading the comics now with her in it, I was like, oh, I get it. Like, she's awesome. Like, really powerful, really wise. You know, there's, like a sweetness to her, too. Um, just, I really enjoyed the character. So that was nice to have the bonus of my opinion of Storm change. Um, so yeah, I got into it. Um, I really enjoyed Rocket and Groot because, I mean, it's Rocket and Groot and the perspective of that she got through of Groot and how he actually communicates was kind of cool. Um, uh, there wasn't, like, you know, a really big show down. She's not taking on, like, huge baddies or anything that we know, which makes sense, because she's just, she doesn't even have the Black Panther outfit yeah. until the very end of it. Um, so that makes sense. Um, I did enjoy the cameos. It was, it was good. I mean, I, I wasn't blown away by it. Um, but like by the end I liked it and I liked what was going on. Um, I like that we got Okoye too, who was your favorite character in Black Panther. I in believe. the film, yeah, 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 she was. So there's a couple of things about this that didn't quite click for me. Okay. I was wondering. I figured you'd have notes, as we say. Well, the first is I'm kind of with you on the art. Um, and the art is very odd to me because looking at it... So here's what I was... You, if you look at these, and you, you see how thick the lines are. Yeah. If this had been made 20, 25 years ago, I would have said the inker was too heavy-handed. But the thing is, this is digitally colored. There is no anchor anymore. Mm. So this was this was how the 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 position that used to be the penciler now it's just the artist mm -hmm. that they wanted the lines that thick. And I mean, it's a, it's a style. It's a, I'm not saying it's an invalid choice. But I'm looking at that going, because ah, mm. it it does. It does lend to a stiffness in posing and everything else because it makes everything feel much more fixed and less fluid. Mm -hmm. it, it makes faces, you know, I mean, the, there's a certain simplicity to the art, so I don't want to make it sound like it's, it's over-detailed or anything, but the, there's almost a, like, carved-from-stone appearance when yeah. the lines are this thick. You don't really get great expressions from it. Yeah. So it doesn't I, lend itself to that. And, like, the art style, it it's not unsuited to the characters, but I don't really care for it, mm -hmm. um, speaking personally. Um, and as far as the overall story goes, 
this was, I think, more than anything else we've read, mm-hmm. this was the one that felt like I'm reading a middle volume of something. Like, there's a lot of stuff we've read that, like, has felt like set up without a payoff because it's only volume one and it's setting up stuff that won't be payoff till later. Mm-hmm. But this kept calling back to stuff that I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. So, like, between the fact that Shuri has the spirits of the ancestors always following her around and talking in her ear, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, wait, what? There's reference to, like, she used to have, like, straight-up powers, like, not technological, like, straight-up superpowers. I'm like, I'm sorry, wait, what? <laughs> and uh. And there's this whole... There's the whole divergence with Groot and Rocket, which I enjoy quite a bit, but it results in this giant mantis coming to Earth. And then we get this, um, we get this earthquake-based villain out of nowhere, middle of the thing. And I'm like, who are you? What? Oh, yeah, um... Moses Magnum, like who again? I have never heard. I guess he's in other volumes again. So I I mean, and that's kind of the thing. This felt like something that was, and this, and this again isn't necessarily a criticism, but it is part of why I came away not enjoying it as much. This felt much more like it was written for people who had been keeping up with the Black Panther books Mm. lately. Where an appearance of a character like that probably would have been like, oh, dang. Whereas for me, I'm like, I'm sorry, who? Mm, yeah. So, and then the, and then there's, this is going to sound weird and nitpicky. And I, I have a hard time drawing. You nitpicky? I know, I know. I have a hard time drawing where this line is. But somewhere there is a line at which point the... Techno babble nonsense makes me go, no. No. Just no. And the stuff with the black hole made me go, no. Like, I, I'm going to give you a lot of leeway on a lot of made up tech, mm-hmm. but no. Everything about this, no. <laughs> no black holes for you, huh? No, no black hole that is this, that is basically just a pit that's expanding. I'm sorry, if you can, if you're close enough to see it, you're already past the event horizon. So people are moving in literally in any direction but towards it. No. I'll accept the Technobabble nonsense for how they reverse it, but they also sort of offer up with that explanation that Moses Magnum can tap into it because of his seismic superpowers. And I'm like, no! No! Earthquakes have nothing to do with a black hole. No! Like, the, that entire... Yeah. That entire thing just made me go, no. Go back and do another draft. Find an... Call this thing literally anything other than a black hole, and I wouldn't have cared. Make up a name. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm dead... Set, like, call, call it a... Call it a red hole made of... of some, some made-up particle or whatever dropped by this alien thing, and I'm fine. I'll leave it alone. But the fact that you called it something that we know something about, and the few things that mm. I, as a layman, know about that thing do not in any way match up with what you're doing. It's true. No. <laughs> I And, like, I have the same problem. And the fact that it's on Earth as opposed to, like, Yeah, it's just sitting there in the desert. I have the same problem with, like, um... 
Star Trek Into Darkness, the the second reboot Star Trek movie, where they're like, it's a black hole, and they just go through it and treat it like it's a t like it's a time warp. I'm like, it's not behaving like a black hole. Please call it something else, because that's not what black holes do. You have a very like specific version of a black hole. I'm gonna have to remember that and like watch how I use the term black hole. <laughs> it's one of those things where. It shows up in fiction and people treat it like, and we have no idea what this is so we can make up anything. He's like, no, we know a little. We know a little and what we know is not that. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, I, I don't know. I have a bug up my butt about that one. So that, At like, least you don't have a giant like space bug up your butt. This is true because that <laughs> is a giant space bug. Um, I'm also not entirely sure what, it, and maybe it's something that pays off later. I'm not entirely sure. So... How do I explain this? <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking legit, not my complaint, like logistically the, the story. So I mentioned that Shuri gets astrally projected out into space and she ends up inside Groot. Uh-huh. Well, there was another character who is a minor oh, supporting yeah. character who was introduced previously, who is in the vicinity that they didn't realize and who accidentally gets astrally projected into this giant space bug. And I'm not... <laughs> entirely sure what oh, that the, I'm just served. laughing at like someone gets like astrally projected into a giant space book like I love the absurdity of comics like yes like I, let, let's take a moment to appreciate that that phrase that, that I yeah. could say that sentence mm -hmm. and I'm just explaining the setup that's not even what we're you're you're okay on. with that, but oh man, the black holes. <laughs> well, see, the thing is, like, this is utter nonsense. I'm not going to call you out on utter, complete nonsense. You have the right to all the nonsense you want. All right, fair. Um, but I, I don't know entirely what having this other character be projected into the bug is in aid of. Yeah, if she comes up later issues or something, I don't know. Yeah. She's kind of on that council of women that they were having earlier in in the in the book, but there's also two secret councils in the course of a not very long volume. And actually, I was very relieved when I think it was Shuri herself who said, "Wait, how many secret <laughs> Things are there. Like, thank you for asking that, because that's what she, I was she wondering. She did get some good lines in eventually, too. I like that she called up, um, called out Moses Magnum for his name, too. <laughs> yes, it is a, it is a ridiculous name. She said he's like trying to be pious and a gangster and gangsta. She, uh, ridiculous. Yep. I they, there are good moments, and I think Shuri as a character is is. Pretty interesting in here. I was curious what I was going to think about her because I'd heard that she does like characterization for the film, which we did rewatch recently. Mm -hmm. Is is fairly different from in the comics, mm -hmm. i.e., in terms of how much they play up her youth, for lack of a better term, and that sort of very young energy. Yeah, that she sarcastic, has sarcastic. Yeah, like, little sister yeah. energy. Yeah. Which is is not absent, but certainly not as prevalent in the book. Which uh -huh. was still a uh, pretty well done as a character. I just I, I I feel like this is a case of where this the one volume that we read really doesn't work as a standalone. I feel like it's it's 
branching off of stuff we haven't read and leaning on it a little more heavily than other times we've we've read comics volumes and i also feel like it it it's not the only one to have this but it's also has a lot of lack of resolution it basically ends at the point she decides to take up the mantle again mm-hmm. but we don't get resolution basically the only thing we would get resolution on was the black hole issue T'Challa's still missing. We don't actually get resolution on the space bug because it rips a hole through space and time and vanishes, which, again, I'm fine with because that's utter nonsense. <laughs> and and they set up this whole thing where, she, like, she's got a hacker friend who she yeah, keeps communicating with. Yeah, I was with. wondering about that. I was kind of suspicious of him and is like, what's I still on? am. I'm sure that's something, but it's not something that gets addressed Resolved. here. Yeah. And... And I don't know if part of why... Because the thing is, I feel like I'm making a lot of complaints that you've made about things in the past where, like, well, I didn't know what this was and it feels like this didn't get paid off. And I think I've made more excuses for those then, but because this is from a corner of uh, of Marvel and clearly branching off of events that I know way less about mm-hmm. than the other stuff, I feel like I'm now kind of in the... In my shoes. In the shoes that, that you were in and some of the other stuff that, that you've had these complaints on before. Whereas I breezed by because I at least had some working knowledge of some of the elements they were using. Whereas here, I don't nearly as much. How's it feel there? Uh, <laughs> disorientating. That's how it feels. I can tell. You're, you're, you're going after it. I did kind of like her delight in her own technology, though, and how proud she was of it and her little wings in a can. That was fun. <laughs> wings in a can, yeah. Um, so I did like that, and it, I think that was in keeping with the spirit of Shuri from the movie, you know, and everything. Um, I, I also, like, as much as I sort of called it out as a wait what, I did like the dynamic between her and the and the voices of the ancestors who basically just kind of talk over her shoulder and only she hears them and they just kind of bug her yeah and she's not like she's not disrespectful but she does not treat them with a lot of reverence she's like will you let me sleep ancestors do not sleep oh great It's kind of like if the voice of the ancestors had followed, like, Mulan around on all her journeys. Yeah. And she'd be like, come on, guys. Yeah, it's it's that a little bit. Yeah. I did kind of want to know more about that, but again, I guess it was in a previous issue. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're more critical of it, but I think I had a fondness going on that I forgave more, and then... Though, again, really, I did get into it more as time went on and we got a lot of the crossover characters that we knew from other stuff. I think, you know, throwing Rocket and Groot in anything helps it. So, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I did enjoy it. And I, it's it's fun watching Groot go shift to, I am Shuri. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How'd you get in here? <laughs> Uh. And Rocket can still understand perfectly what is being said as Shuri Groot just says nothing except I am Shuri. I, I always did like that aspect of it. Alright. was it, Were there things that... So you liked them. Were there other things you liked about it? Um, 
I, I did like sort of the ways in which they brought in out, outside elements. I mean, Rocket and Groot was, that was fun because it was, it, it was semi-unexpected. Like, if you're going to have her astrally project into space, she's going to run into something. Mm-hmm. Having it be them, that was a nice call. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Storm was well integrated into it. And I kind of like that she's looking at something like, oh, this, this is like a major scientific problem. I'm just going to call Tony. <laughs> I could, I mean, like, I get that, too. Because it's like, no, it makes sense that they would talk. Cause yeah. It really does. For worldwide problems, they probably need to, like, consult each other. And I like that it's not just he shows up and solves it. It's like, he shows up and she goes, okay, um, can, between the two of us, can we figure this out fast enough to... I know. I love the press conference after where she's like, yep, you can go now. I've, I've got this, you know, and they're really not interested in him at all. I kind of love that. They're like, Princess Shuri, we have questions. <laughs> so I like also that they were shouting equations across the black hole to each other. That was Kind of fun. I know you don't like the techno babble, but I thought like it was that, amusing. The, the way they, the way they did that, that was fine. It, it was more in what the techno babble was in relation to that annoyed uh, me. Oh, all right then. <laughs> Again, if you want a techno babble, utter nonsense, have your utter nonsense. Stop pretending black holes are magic. <laughs> all right then. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to take a a quick break, and then we'll be back with listener feedback. The Fire and Water Podcast Network is a collection of super friends plus shag. So what could be more appropriate than a podcast about the super friends? It's For All Mankind, a Super Friends podcast, a read-through show about the classic DC comic book series covering all 47 issues of the original run, plus a few surprises. Hosted by me, Rob Kelly, and a rotating group of my Super Friends. Coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It all looks good to me. All right, we're back, and we're going to take a look at listener feedback to the previous episode in which we discussed White Bird by R.J. Palacio. So we have a couple of comments. Do you want to take the first one? Yes. Brian Linton says, thanks for covering this book. Our daughter really enjoyed reading Wonder, so I'm guessing White Bird should be an easy sell for her. My wife and I are trying to raise her awareness of racial issues right now, but she's in that wonderful preteen phrase where every new idea we present to her is greeted with an eye roll and an exasperated, I already know about that. Yeah. You're going to get that soon. I yeah, think you're I, starting to get I, the beginning of it. A little bit, yeah. Well, because, like, you, the longer they're in school, you do hit a point where, like, I don't know what you know. And so you'd be like, do you know about this? And sometimes they're like, no. And other times they're like, yes. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. Okay. It's interesting to me, too, that sometimes, like, with my students in the, some of the books we've read in library class, they know more than some of their, like, classroom teachers. <laughs> like, they have more awareness of certain, like, issues, especially, like, recent stuff, mm. than um, their teachers. It's, 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 sometimes that happens. So I believe it. Yeah. So, uh, and the other comment we got was from Tim Price. 
Whitebird sounds and looks really interesting. I do have Mouse, which is an excellent graphic novel, but a challenge to get through. I'm intrigued that Whitebird could reach the current generation of young readers like my daughters. Research is definitely called for, thanks for covering it. From the last episode, all of the recommendations for other weird westerns, I realized I hadn't pushed Copperhead. Again, with its great female lead and how it turns the gender roles around, I can't recommend it enough. That is actually on my short list of yeah. stuff that I don't already own that we could feasibly do. Nice. Um, thanks for another great episode, My Punchers. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Um, we have no idea what nope. what we're doing next. Actually, <laughs> we'll prob it out. probably once we stop recording, we'll wander over to the shelf and see what I already have <laughs> that, <laughs> that we feel in the mood for. I think that's probably the best approach. Okay, so thank you everybody for tuning in. We'll see you in a month with... Uh, Something. Yeah. <laughs> see you next time. Bye. To be determined. <laughs> Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye! <laughs> Don't start. I'm gonna I'm go awake. too. I'm yeah, awake. totally awake. Okay. Say goodbye. Say goodbye.